Welcome to the Voice of Truth Radio Show. This is your host, State Senator Mike Azinger, accompanied by my co-host, Pastor Brian Leversee, sitting right to my right. I'm to the left of you. How did that happen? <laughs> All <good> right. <laughs> and uh, so on the Voice of Truth Radio Show, we're going to be engaging in vigorous, robust discussion on culture, history, current events, all from a biblical perspective. We're on every Thursday at 5 p.m. P.M. Saturdays at 3 p.m. You can find our podcast at Voice of Truth with Mike Azinger. Oh, so it's a beautiful day outside. You're listening to this on a Thursday or Saturday, Wednesday in the studio yeah. and outside the studio. It is gorgeous. It's a Wednesday and it's beautiful. I mean, that's it's one beautiful. thing about this West Virginia weather I'm getting used to is that just because you might have a cold day, you know, a day ago, that doesn't mean you're going to have a cold day tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost heaven, brother. What do you want? If you, you wake want? up in the morning and it's cold, that doesn't mean it's going to be cold in the afternoon. <laughs> hey, listen, we don't have a great football team, but we do have uh, we do have great weather. You do. It's it's unless good. it's not great, then we don't. <laughs> it's bad. <laughs> so it's good. so it's like, like half the year, you have clouds over the sky. Well, it's like my grandpa used to have this uh, weather rock. And, uh, you know, it, it really helped you out because the, on the weather rock, it said, if it's wet, it's raining. If it's hot, it's hot outside. If the rock is cold, it's cold outside. Yeah, you know, he must was, have paid a lot of money for that. <laughs> I think he did. I think he did. <laughs> All right. So, well, uh, we couldn't make it in the studio last week. Have I told you about my latest medical uh, issue? <laughs> because I know the... Wait, which one? <laughs> I knew the, the audience would be just... They're they're seeing what's Azinger's latest medical problem. So I got diagnosed this morning with bronchitis. Oh, no. And you said, hey, come on in. We're going to record it. I like that about you. Well, you know. (laughs) Now, this big plastic thing all around you, what is that all about? (laughs) No, he doesn't really. But um, so anyway, I went over the weekend to a phenomenal conference. I've been to four of these things. I've been elected to the legislature. Uh, for seven years, I've been in the legislature. And I've been to this conference in Dallas, Texas. Do not fly, folks. I hate to fly. It is misery. Do not fly. But I had already signed up for it, and I flew to Dallas um, to uh, to go to it's a three-and-a-half-day conference with uh, David Barton with Wall Builders. Uh, a lot of you folks are familiar with Barton. He's, Great material. He is the premier Christian historian in the country, if not the world. This guy, this guy, his ministry is just beyond belief. His knowledge of it, it is just. You listen to him, and you get half inspired and half discouraged. You think <laughs> there's no way I could memorize one one hundredth. One ten thousandth of what he's got in that pea brain head. <laughs> I mean, he's something. We got to get him on the show, but it's not easy to do. I think he's just so in demand. But there was, uh, I think, one hundred and seventy legislators from thirty some states, and uh, my buddy, uh, the, our buddy now uh, that we had on the show, uh, Professor William Jaynes from Cal State, 
uh, came and joined me, mm. and he was looking for other people, other legislators to run his his uh, Bible in the school bills. And I think we found a guy and a mutual friend of ours who I've met before. Uh, I know from these conferences, a guy named Dennis Guth, who's a senator in Iowa. Uh, so it looks like he's he's a brave guy, and it looks like he's going to do it. But uh, man, yeah, I, I'm, t- I'm telling you, we uh, I had uh, so I had COVID six weeks ago, and had double pneumonia at the same time. And are there violins playing anywhere? <laughs> we were weeping. <laughs> <laughs> Got over that and doing great. And I, I've had a cough. Uh, I woke, woke up with, like think, I think, my first day of COVID, coughing. And um, it has not stopped hmm. since then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Have a cough drop. <laughs> I've got like 10 in front of me. So finally, my wife says, and I, I've learned to listen. My wife is like, a, she should have been a nurse. She's got instincts of a nurse. I always ask her, like, honey, I have a headache. What should I take? Tylenol. Tylenol. <laughs> but she's got this intuition. And so I'm always asking her if I'm sick. And I, I really am not sick that often. And I, I don't like to even talk about it, except that I have a, an audience. Hey, why <laughs> not? people to feel sorry for you. <laughs> I, got, I got people to feel sorry for me. So she, said, she finally said, she kept for weeks has been saying, honey, you need to go and get that cough checked. Honey, you need to go and get the cough checked. And I don't want to know. I don't want to find out what's wrong with me, so I don't go. So finally, uh, it doesn't By go away. This is not medical advice. No, <laughs> nothing I say. <laughs> so uh, I go. Uh, I keep. I keep having this cough, and my wife says, "You better get it checked before you go to that conference." Nope, I'm not getting it checked. It'll go away. It did not go away. I I had to go on these planes. I just oh, she said she said okay, babe. You didn't listen to me, so you just need to OD on cough syrup every morning before the plane flight during the car. And that's what I did. I just took this stuff called Delsum that my dad told me about, and I just you know I took one and a half times, two times what I should, and it 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 just sailed me right through. Um, so finally, I get I get my uh, X rays. Because my wife said, go to the hospital now. I was, that's what I did. And I'm thinking, I don't want to know you. Maybe I have some kind of chest cancer. But the doctor even said, you know, I don't think you do. But we just want to make sure no, the C word. So I'm right. a little scared. Yeah. And I uh, got a call this morning. And, uh, yeah, bronchitis. Um, so I text you. Hey, you want me to come? <laughs> come on in. <laughs> I like that about come you. Um, so here I am. Um uh, with uh, bronchitis, but uh, hey, I feel good. God's good, and we're gonna have a good time. I just want to talk about this conference. Tell these folks, folks, uh, uh, learn about our Christian history. Hmm. If I, I say this often, if if every American child was taught the truth about our Christian history and what God did in America from the very beginning, if you even go all the way back to the Reformation, where this where it you know providentially began. If, if every American child was taught that, we would not be having uh, riots, mm. and we would not be having all this balkanization in the country, this breaking up of, uh, of, of, of the country into these little mini philosophical uh, you know, cells or whatever you want to call them, and, and be battling each other. But here we are, and uh, so David Barton at these conferences has one great speaker after another just reinforcing what we believe, giving us information on what's going on. The first guy that we heard, uh, Pastor, uh, was a guy uh, named uh, Rabbi, a rabbi. Hmm. 
Daniel LePen. You ever heard of LePen? So mm-hmm. yeah, so he's he is the son of a very famous rabbi, the brother of a famous rabbi, and he himself is a famous rabbi. And he gave this speech. Now, he's not a believer, and he tells you right out. I bought one of his books. I was reading the forward to it. Uh, He said, look, I'm a Jewish rabbi. That's what I always will be. I will not become a Christian. I will not believe in Christianity. But I believe that Christianity has shaped, a New Testament Christianity has shaped the West. Mm. Yep. Funny, funny uh, contradiction there. He, it is. You know. Well, I, I mean, you don't have to believe in Christianity to know. I mean, this is how obvious it is that Christianity has shaped the West. You don't have to believe in Christianity to clearly see that. Uh, I mean, it's yeah. just so obvious that the the governments that have been formed, the values that have been nurtured, uh, these have all come from a biblical worldview. Yeah. And, uh, you know, those that would try to seek to revise history to to blur our origins to try to figure out a different narrative so that they can try to reshape america in their own value systems it it really comes of not you have to outright lie to people because it's just that obvious that christianity shaped the west there's a book that uh i highly recommend called um i can't think of the name but it basically says how christianity has has changed everything and everything for the better, whether it's mm. medicine, whether it's the plight of women in a culture. Uh, you want to you wanna know, you want to see misery, just study closely the Islamic religion and how they treat women. Mm. women. Women are chattel, they're property, and they're treated just horribly. Uh, but so Rabbi Lapin, Daniel Lapin, if you want to read his stuff, he gave this fascinating fact because the, the the rabbis jewish rabbis they know the old testament right. and he studied from a child the old testament in different languages you know that would the greek and hebrew i don't know if you say greek but the hebrew and so on uh and he gave a fascinating fascinating talk pastor on traditions hmm. and how and how christianity creates traditions and traditions are good and they're of god mm-hmm. so we have now we can get caught up and worshipful of traditions, but uh, if they're traditions that God embeds in the society, we want to keep those. Well, Paul even encouraged Timothy as he was training Timothy for the pastorate and really encouraging him in the pastorate. He said, hey, don't fall away from these traditions. Now, Mm. traditions don't save, but tradition, I mean, at its heart, is just a pattern or a cultural influence that's developed from truth. And so we keep Mm. these traditions as a point of reference to the truth that we have received and you know that's why it's so important for us to know our history too that's why it's so important that there are conferences like these that there are people like this that are are pointing attention to our christian history because at the at the center of christianity is truth jesus said i am the way the truth and the life and the reason why christianity impacts everything for the positive is because it brings the truth to light in everything it brings the truth to light about who we are how we've been created the purposes to which we are called, why we've been formed, the way we've been formed. It it gives us the truth about uh, the morality in which we live. It it gives us the truth about, you know, how we interact with each other and how we're to love our neighbor as ourselves. All this truth 
helps to shape a culture. And when that culture gets shaped, it, it produces traditions that then cue us in back to that truth again. Mm. So it's so important to make those connections. Yes. I, I just take, for example, do, this do ye oft. Mm-hmm. Okay. So uh, the Lord's Supper, communion, yep. whatever you want to call it, that's a tradition. And that's something we're commanded to do often. Not necessarily uh, every Sunday, but we often, and uh, uh, that forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. Going to church is a tradition. That's something we should keep, and it undergirds a culture. Uh, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Paul writes in in 2 Thessalonians chapter number 2 and verse number 15, Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions Mm. which ye have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. And so wow. this is this is part of what So he's teaching tradition. He's teaching tradition. Wow, that's a great verse. <laughs> so that's what Daniel Lapin did and uh, so I'm going to order all these tapes like I was telling you uh, before we came on the air. Uh, I have to hear these things a lot to really you know over and over to get because his his was so rich and so deep that I plan on listening to it you know many times so I can make it part of my thinking. And uh, uh, so anyway, we had uh, Daniel Lapin, we had several former congressmen speak, Bob McEwen, Trent Franks, Randy Forbes. These are all Christian conservative congressmen. We think we don't have, there's a bunch of them in in state houses across the country mm-hmm. and in D.C. So we get really cynical, but there's a, there's a bunch of them. Uh, a guy named uh, Mike Johnson. Uh, came and did, and he's a current congressman and gave a speech via Zoom from D.C. because he couldn't get away. But it was uh, it was just inspiring hmm. and and just really really good. George Barna, who's a pollster, he spoke for an hour probably and just dug into the minutia of polling of of um, Americans and of Christian America and gave a, a lot of bad news, frankly, yeah. Pastor. I mean, yeah. Just in terms of the, the way Americans think, uh, what our worldview is, mm. uh, what Christians' worldview is, that was probably the most depressing thing. You know, mm. now one of the reasons we go to this church, the main reason we go to the church here at Fellowship Baptist, where we're broadcasting, there's a lot of good churches in the area, folks. I'm, I'm not, I'm not denigrating any church, but I do know that uh, I do know you'll you'll open the Bible up on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday, and you'll you'll preach from the Bible mm. and teach us doctrine. Mm. Uh, but but churches aren't doing that, yeah. and it's obvious when you have a guy like George Barna who does the polling, finds out the minutia of 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 the of the belief systems of mm-hmm. Christians, yeah. and so many Americans in general. I think it was like eighty percent just have a a composite of a whole bunch of different belief systems mm. that aren't Christianity, yeah, aren't Christian, yeah. And you know what? It's kind of sad. You know, fifty, sixty years ago. 70 years ago, the reference point in Scripture for the last times of, you know, there's going to be great falling away or a, or a mass of people who will fall into apostasy and no longer believe the truth. You'd almost think, wow, I just I don't see how that could happen. I mean, we're broadcasting truth on the radio. We're broadcasting yeah. truth on television. We're broadcasting truth through all the churches. They're well attended and, you know, people are growing in their faith. And now where we're at in, in history now, you can you can see where there is this falling away that's taking place. And mm. while we don't like to celebrate that as part of what we see, it certainly is fulfilling some of this prophetic, I think, uh, understanding that 
you know, before Jesus comes, he asks, will there be any faith left? Wow. Wow. Um, so the, the conference lasted, uh, we got there Thursday night, Friday, Saturday, and then Sunday morning, they always have a, they have a, we had a, a, a preacher, uh, Tim, uh, David Barton's buddy, he went to, went to, uh, uh, Bible college. Well, he went to ORU. Uh, Barton mm-hmm. went to ORU, and uh, this guy went to ORU with him. But uh, he preaches. He's a really funny guy. Just gave, tells a bunch of jokes before he preaches. But every night we'd have a some kind of a, a sermon like that. Um, and then one night uh, we went to Glenn Beck's facility, hmm. and Glenn, <laughs> Glenn Beck spoke to the whole group. There's I don't know several hundred of us, hmm. and uh, we went to his. Uh, it's like. Um, we didn't go to his studio. That was next door. But we went to this big campus of these white buildings um, that were very uh, modern-looking, cool-looking. And I don't know how many of them he owns, but he he owns several, I think. But he's got a uh, uh, one building we went to. We went in. He was <laughs> he was out there in front giving a speech, uh, preacher that would have sounded like he was talking about the second coming hmm. he gave fascinating information just on di- on how currency is going digital yeah. banking is going to one single bank mm-hmm. to to where these things are just churning on and on towards what's got to be some kind of eschatological ending yeah. here right. in a in a, a biblical sense i was mm-hmm. asking all all my Christian buddies there. So, what do you think of Beck's eschatology? <laughs> without actually, but he is pretty fascinating yeah. guy. Yeah. Uh, so it was fun being at Beck's facility, being you know 100 feet from Glenn Beck, and then on the other side of the wall where we spoke, we would we broke up in four groups and did this tour. Hmm. Uh, and he has a museum there, and he must have some of it with David Barton because th- there's there's tons of artifacts from. Our early Christian history that mm. just that blow your mind. Like for example, there there was there was two little um, items that incl- that uh, contained uh, l- uh, like small locks of George Washington's hair. Are you kidding me? I put one in my back pocket. <laughs> they caught me going out. Yeah, so you what set the, off the alarms. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the heat sensors. You got to do beep, beep. <laughs> So I said, "That's my cough. I got a cough." So. Um, I, th- I found that fascinating, so I took close-up pictures mm-hmm. of it. But what they do, uh, they they cut his hair on his de- on his deathbed. Wow! And that's kind of the way that they they would ha- take part of them with them in those mm-hmm. days and and pass the word on. But it was fascinating looking, uh, holding up at this little thing that contained uh, George Washington's hair. Mm. It had under glass. Uh, uh, Lincoln's family Bible. Wow. I mean, you know, what would that be worth? Hmm. What would, just these items, these artifacts. And, and Beck has a fascination with, with Hollywood. So he had Star Wars memorabilia. <laughs> I mean, the real thing, like, R2, who, who's the, the robot guy? Yeah, well, uh, C-3PO. Or, okay, so yeah. he's there, the real guy. <laughs> wow. No, no kidding. Dorothy from Wizard of Oz, her dress and, and red slippers, yeah. Real deal. They really? were right there. And this is an eclectic okay. little museum. Well, hey, <laughs> and I feel, I think that I'm a member there. I feel like if I came back, they'd say, hey. But but uh, just 
I'm going to send some of your hair over to him, see if well, they'll I'll, put it somewhere. I, we will have to talk. That's negotiable. <laughs> we'll talk. But the, the museum was mainly, mainly we saw just early American artifacts, and we would go to one station. David Barton would lecture to another station, another guy, and there's four different areas of the museum where you'd learn just about American. And they were holding up stuff, just picking up stuff that was, some of it, 400 years old. Wow. Under plastic and... Anyway, it was uh, it was a lot of fun, and it was it was very uh, information. Just Jerry Boykin was there, who started Del- Delta Force. I was telling mm. you, I uh, I just about cried. He was right behind me in line. I turned around. There's Jerry Boykin. He's a legend in uh, the military. Started Delta Force. Great Christian guy. Uh, Ted Cruz sent a video message, mm. and that was cool too. And Ted Cruz has been. He's been uh, a real man lately. Speaking of real men, next segment we're going to talk about. Uh, let's see what order we're going to do. We're going to, we're going to do a couple, a segment on manhood. We're going to do a segment on um, some real good news from, like, the election of Virginia. Hmm. Here's a here's an article poll polls showing growing rejection of transgenderism. Hmm. So some good news out there. We believe God's moving. He's not done with us. That's Yet, right. for some reason, right? That's right. So you're listening to Voice of Truth Radio. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to the Voice of Truth Radio show. I'm your host, State Senator Mike Azinger. got Brian Leversee, the Reverend... Right to my right, he's sucking down some Starbucks right now. Did he bring me any? No, he did not. No. Of course, I brought Tim Hortons, and I didn't bring you any. You brought any. bronchitis for me, so, <laughs> <laughs> so no Starbucks well, for you. Well, you know what? If you don't have trials in your life, you'll just never learn to grow in the Lord. That's why <laughs> That's I did That's right. It. Thank you. If I have bronchitis, I want you to have uh, Brian Kytis. <laughs> Because that's your first name. Yeah, you did go. you like that? I, I like that what you did there. I see fairly, what you did. Fairly clever. That was very Yes, clever. thank you. Man. I'm uh, sucking on a Ricola. Forgive me, folks. I've got uh, Ricola, and I've got uh, your basic hauls. Hmm. So I've been sucking these things down all week, and uh, I do recommend it. You know, they work. Yeah. How about that? They're just not fun to suck on. They work. <laughs> they would just taste good. <laughs> all right. North Dakota bands CRT. Critical race theory in K through 12 schools. It downloaded, by the way. <laughs> Factual and objective curriculum. So what they do now? Um, here's how they do it. North Dakota. This is the way to run the bill. Uh, note to self: North Dakota has become the latest state to ban the use of critical race theory in public schools after a law was passed requiring that teachers rely only on factual and objective hmm. curi- curriculum. So okay. you don't put CRT in the bill because it, com- it confines it too much. You just word it like factual and objective curriculum that that covers everything. Hmm. Um, so a quick fact, North Dakota has become the 13th state to ban critical race theory. I didn't know it was that many. Um, so that's real good news. I just wanted to interject that. Uh, Governor Doug Burgum... So it isn't Christy Nome. Okay. Signed the bill into law after it passed the North Dakota House 76 to 16, wow. not even close. And the Senate 38 to 9, not even close. State Senator Donald Shable, Republican, said the bill is more preemptive to try to make sure 
that it doesn't come to our school. So people are waking up to CRT. Parents are waking up. Next segment, we're going to talk a little bit about how parents are waking up and how that had a huge effect in the Virginia race because uh, the Democrat, Terry McAuliffe, basically said, look, parents, it's none of your business what we teach your kids. How do you say that in God's name? Look, how do you say that? God said, teach your children. He was talking to the parents. The the defiance against God is just Mm. breathtaking to watch. And people don't understand how dangerous that is for them because when people defy God, they defy our creator. And when they defy our creator, they're defying our own identity. So if they can wipe out God, they can wipe you out. And that's what we've Mm. seen happen in totalitarian regimes that get rid of God. You know, these governmental philosophies that get rid of God, they end up getting rid of their own people. That's where you get the genocide. That's where you get the holocausts. That's where you get the extermination of life is because when they get rid of the creator of life, now they can get rid of you. And that's what they want to do. They want to eliminate parents from the equation. They want to eliminate the discussion of life at birth. They want to eliminate the, the um, identities that we've been created with. All gone because mm-hmm. they don't care about the creation when they remove the creator. Yes, and that all of those exterminations of peoples, mm-hmm. 100 million of them in the 20th century, go back, all of them, to Marxism. Yep. That's and how de- devilish it is. To evolution. Which was the primary philosophy that that developed a lot of this um, survival of the fittest type. Marx loved Darwin. That's just an empirical fact. Polls showing growing rejection of transgenderism. So here's some good news, folks. This is a story from Breitbart. Polls showing growing rejection of transgenderism. So I'm going to read some good news here uh, from very recent polling. Let me put my glasses on. Shifting poll numbers and the GOP win in Virginia show Americans are increasingly rejecting the radical and intrusive agenda pushed by the transgender groups and their progressive allies, say critics of the transgender ideology. So now, uh, buckle your seatbelts for three or four paragraphs here. Glenn Youngkins, Youngkins, the guy who won um, the Virginia governor's race. Youngkin, what do you think of that name? Hey, it works. He won. <laughs> <laughs> right. So I was thinking, if I'm Glenn Youngkin, I'm going to change my name to Young, and that will fit better. But then I thought, <laughs> no, because everyone can remember Youngkin. That's, yep. It's a little bit... A little it, twist. A little, yeah. All right, so Glenn Youngkin's victory on Tuesday showed that voters, and especially parents... Parents, that's what God created parents, mm-hmm. are waking up to the horrendous consequences of the woke left's gender ide- ideology, said a statement from the American Principles Project. The ideology, quote, threatens the privacy and safety of girls in school, so it should be no surprise to see opinions shifting in polling on these issues as well, end quote. The shift is detailed by a September poll from the pro. Listen, this poll comes from a pro transgender group. Hmm. It's called Public Religion Research Institute. Is a deceptive title there, but uh, this uh, pro transgender group called Public Religion Research Institute. The group's poll shows a steep three-year drop. Not just recently. Not just before the Virginia election. This is a three-year drop. In support for boys playing in girls' sports and for the ideology's claim 
that people's sense of personal quote-unquote gender is unconnected to their biological sex. <laughs> so for three years, people have been saying, no, uh, boys are boys, girls are girls. That's biology. That's the way God did it. One-third of Americans, 36%, believe that male students should be allowed to participate in uh Female sporting events, according to the survey of 5,400 adults, which got little press coverage. That's a, listen, now that sounds like a lot. 36% believe that. But that's a one-third drop from 2018 when 50% of Americans said that wow. they should. So people are starting to wake up to the truth. Mm-hmm. Reality is starting to, to uh, hit, hit folks in the face, and, and people are waking up. Parents are waking up and showing up to these Boards of education meetings, I mean, all across the country. More fundamentally, the poll showed a two-year, one-third drop in the share of people who believe there are additional genders than male and female. So, the poll showed a one-third drop in the number of people who who believe that there's more than two genders. Uh, in 2021, only 17% of Americans strongly believe there are multiple genders, and it was 24% in 2019. So from two years ago, it went for, from 24% believing there's more, there's more than two genders to 17. That's, mm-hmm. that's a large drop yeah. percentage-wise, right? So the polling shift is moving politics. Amen. It's moving politics. Politics is always da- downstream of culture. Mm-hmm. If, uh, as we were talking off, uh, off uh, microphone, if every... If every pastor in America will get up and preach from the pulpit like you do and like so many in the Mid-Ohio Valley do, uh, the, the, the politics would change mm. instantly. Yeah. It would instantly follow because, because politicians uh, are, are, in many ways, uh, you know, they always call us leaders, but in so many respects, we're just followers. You know, we just do whatever's popular, you well, know. They're elected by the people to be the voice of the people. And so um, if the people are voting their values, then if those values are being shaped by, you know, those that believe that there are more than two genders or or sexes, we should say, um, if they believe that your identity can be fluid, then that that represents itself in in the people they elect. But if we start preaching the truth from the pulpit, if we start being the voice of truth from from our culture, and that begins to shape people's understanding of of life, then they're going to vote people in who have those types of values that are going to promote truth and promote uh, the things that benefit our culture. Yes, right. That's all true. So there's some good news from from, uh, from polling. It's, 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 It's very dramatic. The the uh, the drop in the numbers of people believing the wrong way to believing the right way, the biblical way. Uh, so this is an article called. How much time we got here? Uh, we're good, right? So I'm gonna get, I'm gonna plow through this article here. Thank God for real parents. Last Tuesday, and Tuesday was the uh, was the election in Virginia, uh, or was that a week ago? Tuesday, I don't know, but. Um, we're talking, uh, referring to the election in Virginia that uh, just the, the numbers changed just precipitously right before the election, right mm. after Terry McAuliffe. Yeah. 
as we were talking about before, said, uh, right after Terry McAuliffe said that parents shouldn't be able to have a same their, their children's education. Mm-hmm. So this is Everett Piper. He, he was a president of a, a Bible school, I think it was a Methodist college in Oklahoma, and I think they parted ways over wokeism, but he's a good guy. Wrote a book, uh, wrote an article called uh, Not a Daycare, talking about how kids want college kids. I want to be uh, want to be at a daycare. You know, want to be taken care of. And the the have article my safe space. What's that? <laughs> have my safe space. Yeah, safe space and <laughs> space and all that. And he wrote a book called Not a Daycare. That uh, that's a very good book, just like the article, and uh, became fairly well known. So he's got a uh, permanent permanent spot every week in the Washington Times, and writes great stuff. So the Washington Times is. Uh, the conservative paper in D.C., the Post, is the commie paper. Mm-hmm. The Washington Times is a conservative paper. So uh, this, so he says this, and I won't read the whole thing, but he says, uh, One day as a king was keeping court, a case was brought before him. There was finger-pointing and there were accusations. Anger and confusion prevailed. Tears flowed and emotions were high as two women presented the case before Solomon. The man touted to be the wisest judge in all the land. The dispute was over a child, a young baby boy. Both women claimed to be the mother. Both claimed the child belonged to them. Both claimed that the other was lying. Both demanded that they alone were telling the truth. How did Solomon resolve this dispute? Well, in the midst of what seemed to be at best 50-50 odds, he turned to his bodyguard and he said, Take a sword, cut the baby in two, give one half to each woman. And as Paul Harvey would say, you know the rest of the story. Upon hearing the king's judgment, the real ma- the real mother cried, Stop! Don't kill my, ba- my baby! And by doing so, she proved what most would consider the obvious morale to this tale. No real mother would ever let her son be cut in two, for all that would be left is a dead baby. On November 2nd, 2021, hundreds of thousands of real moms and dads, by the way, went to the polls in the state of Virginia, and the reason Glenn Youngkin is now Old Dominion's governor and Terry McAuliffe is not is that this army of parents rose up and shouted, Stop it. We will no longer let, your cut, your, uh, let you cut our children in half. No, they said. We will not let you teach our sons that they can be girls. No, we will not let you continue to indoctrinate our daughters to believe that they are the ones in the wrong for not wanting boys in their bathrooms, locker rooms, and showers. No, we will not remain silent while you peddle your rancid racism. No, we will not let you destroy the nuclear family. No, we will not let you cut our children in half. Hmm. Good stuff. That's good preaching. Yeah. Um, so the lesson of Solomon, he says, is pretty simple. You can't cut a living thing in half and expect it to survive. Thank God there's still a remnant of parents left. So hmm. um, that was uh, that's, it was really good. He's just basically saying uh, parents changed the culture in politics in on one election day. And if that can happen in Virginia, that can happen everywhere. We can have a, a revival, so to speak, of parenting again. We know in, in Christian terms, we like to talk about a spiritual revival, and, and that's definitely part of it. But it's really just need to see a parent revival. You yeah. know, I think for so long, America has become a culture of allowing everybody to parent your child except except you having a voice in your child's yeah. life. Yeah. And I'm, I'm really <clears throat> encouraged 
even through this whole situation with COVID, with with schooling returning back to the home. And and all schooling, I believe, should flow from the home. Even mm-hmm. if you send your child away mm-hmm. to school, they should understand where their authority is, and that's in the home. That's that's with mom and dad. That's with your parents speaking into your life the, the truths of God's Word. And so yeah. it's really good to see a revival in that again. It, it's so exciting to watch these, these uh, boards of education meetings all across the country and it, it happened here in the valley too uh where they're you know the, these schools are are basically dictating to the parents how things are going to be mm. whether it's the mask whether it's critical race theory um you know whatever it may be and and there's been public school issues uh going back to the 60s and 70s let's face it homeschooling started i believe in the 60s mm-hmm. um, the the christian school movement started i believe in the very early 70s mm-hmm. maybe late 60s so this has been going on a lot of years and parents are starting to see a lot of us covid you know these these Zoom classrooms and and parents are starting to hear what indeed their children are being taught, whether yeah. it's Marxism or uh, you know uh, relativism or, or whatever it is. When you take God out of the schools, like we did in '62 and '63 with prayer and the Bible out of the schools, and God's kicked, uh, you know, you can't kick God out of anywhere, but but God is not taught mm-hmm. or revered in the schools by prayer or by precept, mm-hmm. and look what we have. Yeah. So, uh, go ahead. What we're seeing is that the devil is not passive in this whole undertaking. You know, we, we think, oh, I'm just going to passively send my child off to school, and they're going to be passively taught, you know, the basics of education, and, and, and they're going to passively enter into this culture that we live in and, and be untouched. But we, what we see, especially with what Terry McAuliffe was, was trying to promote, was they want to steal our kids. They actually think our kids belong to them. Yeah. When they say, you can't, hey, you know, as, as we went to Zoom classes and parents were starting to become involved in the, their children's classrooms and the teachers are like, oh, by the way, parents, we need you to step out of the room now because we can't really have you involved in your kids' education because you're going to corrupt what they're hearing and, and we need to teach your, your children. What is that? That's stealing your children away from you. When a, a, a guy running for governor stands up and says, hey, the, the parents don't have any voice in the school. They've got no business in the school. They can't tell us what to do with their children. What are they doing? They're stealing our children. Mm. The devil is not passive in this. This is spiritual warfare yes. at its height, and, and, and the devil's always wanted to entrap and enslave our children, and we've got to stand up, and it's great to see these parents do that. It is, and uh, you know, as an aside, that, and you always make this point, we have a lot of, uh, a lot of Christian teachers in the school. We have teachers that, that care about mm. the students, and if it wasn't for these uh, these teachers, uh, those teachers, it would be uh, much right. much worse than it is. So uh, there's a lot of uh, a lot of Christian teachers. You know, a couple years ago, uh, several of us uh, passed a, a bill that allowed the Bible to be taught in public schools, mm-hmm. which is kind of a misnomer. It's, it's allowed to be taught. It just basically announced to everybody, yeah, you can teach it. Right. And here's how to do it. Um, so. Uh, and, and and that's what that's what needs to take place is truth to be put back in the in, mm. in the public schools. Now, the Bible was taught in public schools for three hundred years, yep. from our very beginning, from sixteen oh seven at Jamestown to Plymouth, and and uh, all the schools, you know, the the universities uh, the, the, that were started to teach preachers and kids were taught by preachers back 
back at our beginning. And a lot of the reason they were is not just so that they would get a, a Bible training, but the the most educated people in the area were the were the pastors. They mm-hmm. you know, they went to Harvard, which That's was right. for uh, they taught you, which was a Bible school at, at the beginning. Harvard College started by John Harvard, who was the Reverend John Harvard. Um, uh, all of these. Uh, uh, I think without exception, all the Ivy League schools either came out of a uh, revival of sorts, you know, the Great Awakening or whatever, or uh, were started by Christians. 106 out of the first 108 uh, institutions of higher learning were started by Christians. Christians institutions or started out of the Great Awakening, uh, you know, uh, the the second great awakening even into the 19th century you went to with uh, Charles Finney and so on uh, our, our 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 history of our schools is Christian yeah it, and it has been and we just we forgot that and we've been lied to about it and and from the 1960s uh, God is uh, you know they they took uh, uh, they, they took they took uh, uh, Blackstone's commentaries out of the universities out of our law schools back in the I think the beginning of the 20th century hmm. Blackstone's commentaries were were the commentaries on law and they were based on natural law which comes from the Bible they just removed them they're wow. they're nowhere now uh, there, there's maybe a couple of schools in America that teach law based on Blackstone's natural law hmm. or on natural law of some sort you know that comes from scripture so Lots of lots of uh, things like that have happened to where we have, uh, uh, you know, our, our public schools are gutted and they're hollow, and uh, there's a vacuum, and the vacuum's been filled, yeah. hasn't it? Yeah. All right, you're listening to the Voice of Truth Radio Show with Mike Azinger and Pastor Brian Leversey. We're going to come back and a couple of couple of great articles we're going to talk about. One of them is. Uh, cohabitation, good or bad, and then America needs a few good men, just on mm-hmm. manhood. Uh, Everett Piper again, another Everett Great. Piper article. That uh. All right, so uh, we'll be right back. Welcome back to the Voice of Truth Radio Show. I'm your host, State Senator Mike Azinger, with Pastor Brian Loversey. And we had two good segments, I think. Mm. Just heavy-duty stuff. We're going to talk this third segment. Don't forget, the fourth segment is on uh, etiquette. That's right. And uh, uh, Keeping so, us uh, honest. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we're going to uh, get back in. I think we found, I think we had a little gold mine, this little... That's a little uh, uh, I don't know what you call it, a little, little well of uh, of uh, just etiquette gold <laughs> from the 19th century. Yep. This is old-time stuff, old just time the stuff. PC stuff, yeah. though it may be PC'd up a little bit. But uh, we'll catch that stuff. We got uh, we will. We got antenna for we that, do. man. We do. God gave Kick us it like out a here. nose for it. <laughs> Cohabitation, looking for love in all the wrong places. This is from Intellectual Takeout. Uh, the gal who's writing it is Annie Holmquist. She writes great stuff. Mm. So this one is really good, too. They post and repost stuff. So this is actually from 2019. Pew Research recently released a new study on the state of marriage and cohabitation in the U.S. I boldly flew in for a look, Annie Holmquist says. I should embrace embrace myself. Uh, I should have braced myself first, like so many other time-tested practices these days. Marriage is in a state of decline. 
Everybody knows that in either empirically or intuitive, right. intuitively. Yeah. Meanwhile, cohabitation rates continue to rise. Listen to this. As the chart below, and uh, that's in, later in the article, as the chart below shows, 59% of adults have cohabitated. Wow. Not believe in it, have done it. Yeah. How about that? That yeah. surprised me. Yep. A 5% increase from 2002. That surprised me, too, because that doesn't seem like that much to me. Right. You agree with that? I agree. The this increase is likely driven by the fact that sixty nine percent of adults believe ho- cohabitation is acceptable. Yeah, and not only acceptable, but I've read some other materials where they believe it is the best practice to mm. determine and discern who ultimately you should end up with. Seventy mm. percent rounded off. Seventy percent of adults say, "Hey, it's cool." Even when marriage is not in the plan, they think it's okay. Yeah. Clearly, American adults are eager to appear open-minded and non-judgmental. That's that's a lot of it. They yeah. people are so desperate to not want to appear to be judgmental. Mm-hmm. It's it's just insane. I want people to hear this though. This is so important for people to understand. Instead of appearing non-judgmental, what we've become is a people who have no judgment or discernment. Mm. You know, we get this idea that we cannot evaluate things or determine the truth about things. They, they believe that we live in this land of, you know, just if it feels good, do it. Uh, I, I can't have absolute truth. There, you know, we just kind of have to feel our way through life. And what we've become is a society who's afraid to act on truth. So, so we, we cover that in this idea that seems so noble. Oh, I'm not judgmental. You know, I'm, I'm accepting. I'm loving. I'm not going to pass judgment. But really what, they're, what they are are a people who have no judgment mm. and who have no discernment. And that's a dangerous place yes. to be in. Yes, that's a, that's a, that's a great point. All right, let's go on in the article. But perhaps acceptance of cohabitation doesn't simply stem from a desire to appear open-minded. Perhaps many American adults, particularly in the younger generation, feel it really doesn't matter. Hmm. It really doesn't matter whether couples simply live together or make a solemn commitment to each other in marriage. I think a lot of it is kids that grow up in a divorced home, mm-hmm. I just become really, really jaded. You know, yeah. Pastor, I remember, uh, you know, when I was a young kid, I was born in 65. Uh, the, the neighborhood I grew up in, it was kind of a sequestered circle of homes, a really cool neighborhood mm-hmm. out in North Parkersburg. And I, I, c- I can't think of a, of a couple, uh, my parents' generation in that whole neighborhood that got divorced. Hmm. There might maybe one. I don't know. I think to to their dying days, some are still alive. Most of them have gone on, but uh, they didn't divorce. I remember as a young kid, the first time I heard of divorce, my mother was sitting in the living room talking to one of her best friends, uh, whose husband had just uh, committed uh, uh, adultery hmm. against her, against God, obviously. But uh, and it was shocking. It was like. And after that, it was like a cascade. Maybe not a cascade, but it was. It it, it just became more and more. Mm-hmm. Um, but most of my parents' generation stayed together. It's it's my generation where things started mm-hmm. to crack up and and to break up. And um, 
I think, you know, look at the 60s. I always say everything happened in the 60s. It yeah. just did. Some kind of a spiritual revival of, of the underworld happened yeah. in the 60s. A lot of it, I think, had to do with prayer and Bible out of the schools and Ten Commandments out of it. And everything about God was removed. Mm-hmm. But the curse causeless does not come. There's, if there's a curse, there's a cause. Mm-hmm. Something happened in the decades before, too. So, um, so divorce uh, creates kids that say, oh, I don't want what happened to my parents to happen to me, mm-hmm. naturally. Who wouldn't? So uh, they cohabitate, I think, is a yeah. lot of it. And it's, it's not, God's not going to bless it. Yeah. Further results in the study seem to back this up with the majority of, age, of adults ages 18 to 49 saying, Cohabitation leads to greater success in marriage. Nearly four, uh, 60% of adults believe that cohabitating couples can raise children just as well as married couples. And uh, so they're not being taught uh, sound doctrine, yeah. not in church or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so just a couple more car- paragraphs that are really interesting here. Um, Okay, so unfortunately, statistics show otherwise. 60% of couples who avoid cohabitation have a greater chance of avoiding divorce and making it to their 20th anniversary. That percentage drops considerably for those who cohabit before marriage. Children raised by cohabitating couples also fare worse in life. Um, more disease, lower income, worse grades, and so on. We all know. Would more awareness of these statistics change people's atti- ad, uh, cohabitating, uh, cohabitation uh, attitudes? Possibly. And she quotes The Closing of the American Mind by Alan Bloom. Have you heard of that book? Mm-hmm. So I read that one in school, and I understood about 1% of it. <laughs> but it was still fascinating just kind of trying to tackle these things. Mm-hmm. It was just way above my head. Mm-hmm. But I read it for a class, and it was big. Mm-hmm. And I even, I even called – He's from Chicago, Alan Bloom, the author. I even called up here and got an appointment with him. I was going to go <laughs> in it, but I couldn't go. <laughs> so anyway, Alan Bloom makes a very lucid, uh, a very uh, uh, fascinating statement, and uh, we'll finish it with this. But he said, children who have gone to the school of conditional relationships should be expected to view the world in the light of what they learned there. Mm-hmm. I'm going to read that again because that mm-hmm. – Children who have gone to the school of conditional relationships should be expected to view the world in the light of what mm. they learned there. If I could say something to that, what we do when we cohabitate against the plan of God concerning relationship is we turn each other into consumers. We're basically shopping. Mm. And yeah. we're shopping based upon my preferences, my needs, my compatibility. And there's no investment of sacrifice. You know, uh, when you shop, you're willing to pay a certain price for what it is that you're going to get. And that's a commodity. And when you cohabitate with somebody, you're like, I'm willing to put in a certain amount of effort based upon what I feel I'm going to get from this person. And if I don't get that from this person, I'm not going to get married. I'm not going to invest anymore. Marriage is, by God, a calling to reflect his sacrifice for his church. Mm. It's not about what I get out of it. It's about what God's called me to. And God's called people to marriage. God's called people to have children and raise those children and be parents to those children. God's called us to love each other as ourselves. And church has become consumer-oriented. Families have become consumer-oriented. Societies have become consumer-oriented. And that's why we have a culture that's best defined by 300 
billion trillion dollar spending bills mm. instead of people just living their lives in the calling of God. We think the money's going to save us. We think the the consume, consumables are going to save us. That's not what's going to save us. Our Savior fills us with his truth and then gives us purpose, meaning, and calling. Hmm. That's really well said. Uh, we become consumers. That's, that's, a, that's a great way to put it. Then that's the truth. You mm-hmm. know? Uh, do I want to continue with you or not? I don't know. There's no... There's no there's no commitment to it. There's no, no you just don't like yeah. what you see, don't like what you have. Irreconcilable differences. Yeah, right, exactly, <laughs> which are undefined and yeah. uh, malleable is, and whatever you want I don't like to be. what I'm getting anymore. Yeah, just no commitment. So, all right, America needs a few good men. This is by Everett Piper also. A picture of the Duke on the front there, <laughs> see – See him. I think that's a Duke. So he was kind of the he was kind of the one of the first anti-heroes in that uh, the hero is the bad guy too. Yeah, he, right. He was a drunken, uh, a, a loving. We all loved him, the, the Duke. But but prior to the Duke, uh, our heroes were clean mm. and they were and uh, you know they were sanitizers. You know, like like Shane, the movie Shane, the hero there was was just. Uh, unassailable i think if i remember right but but i do remember reading a book i forget what it was but talking about the the first anti-heroes and mm-hmm. that's the 62 yeah these anti-heroes being the guys that uh uh you uh, uh, the, the the heroes in the movies are are the bad guys right so that you can you can uh you can love evil and laugh at evil and so right. on this past week senator josh hawley the man Simon and Schuster canceled for daring to criticize cancel culture once again inspired the ire of our nation's intelligentsia. What was the senator's crime this time? He dared to champion manhood and urged men to act like men. Hmm. That is a gutsy thing for a politician yeah. to do. This guy's this guy's uh, a player. Josh Hawley. Last month, in an address given to the National Conservatism Conference in Orlando, I flew into Orlando on the way down there. I kept thinking, seriously, from then on, I kept thinking I was in Orlando. I was sitting in my, uh, Dallas in the hotel. I said to the uh, man, it's warm. Uh, it's a little chilly for Orlando. He said, you're in Dallas. <laughs> uh, National Conservatism Conference in Orlando, Mr. Hawley challenged what he called the trend of American men to withdraw into enclaves of idleness as a result of being taught that their manhood is the problem. Hmm. This week, in an interview with Breitbart, the senator celebrated or elaborated, I just think the left does not want to own up to the fact that the broadside against America also involves an attack on American men. When asked by Axios, the uh, news organization, to define a man... Uh, Holly said, a man is a father, a husband, a man is somebody who takes responsibility. He then added, when you tell men that to be, assert- to be assertive, to be independent, and to exercise the kind of qualities that have been widely observed in men for millennial, uh, millennia, uh, when you teach them that masculinity is inherently the problem, I think it's paralyzing to young men. I mean, it leaves them with a profound crisis of action, a profound crisis of identity, and I think that's one of the reasons why you see men withdrawing. Uh, so, and lastly, he finishes 
here skipping down. In 1960, only 10% of children were were raised without a father in the home, 10%. Today, the number is 40% climbing. It's 70% within the black community. Half of last year's births among millennials were to unwed mothers, Mm. and just shy of 50% of this same group now reports that they don't believe a child needs this is what's really scary 50 percent of the same group now report they don't believe a child needs both a father and a mother to Mm. grow up happy so i'd like to ask those people that think that uh were you glad that you had a father when you were growing Mm. up or if you didn't have a father did you wish that you had a father Mm. when you were growing up of course they did yeah but uh, for everybody else that's okay right for these other kids that they don't have a father but that's okay yeah you know they got they got mom Mom's great. Mom's essential. But uh, so is dad, equally mm-hmm. so. Yep. All right. So we got a couple minutes left. We're going to do etiquette when we come back. Just a few minutes because I've been yakking uh, endlessly. Just haven't shut up the whole time. It's kind of your job. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You're listening to Voice of Truth. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Voice of Truth radio show. This is your host, State Senator Mike Azinger, Pastor Brian Leversey right here. We don't have much time because of a loquacious host named uh, Miguel Azinger. Wouldn't <laughs> shut up. So we got like two minutes. So we got five uh, five etiquette points, etiquette, etiquette points, and um, I will not go through and refresh because we don't have time. So number 21 from – this is a, a – a book from like the late 19th century. Nice. Number 21, do not put your elbows on the table or sit too far back or lounge. Uh, yeah, probably not. <laughs> sit up straight, folks. Yeah. 22, no one while walking the street should fall either through carelessness or willful neglect should fail either through carelessness or willful neglect to recognize acquaintances so oh, there you go don't move to the other side yeah. of the street <laughs> like when you're shopping at the grocery store and you see somebody you know and you're just like i just want to get home with my groceries oh put your phone up to you real quick while you're talking yeah. to somebody you don't want... <laughs> the worst part is when you can't remember their name and you're here yeah. they come that's the worst part <laughs> number 23 look in the way you are going both to avoid Collisions. Yeah. Is that true now? Cell phones. Cell phones. Yeah, exactly. Cell phones. Have you seen the, the video where they walk off the pier or whatever? <laughs> I saw a guy walk into a fountain the other day. <laughs> <laughs> Look in the way you are going both to avoid collisions and because it is bad manners to stare in area, any other direction. Mm-hmm. Number 24. That's interesting, man. I wish we had more time. No, uh, 24. In public conveyances, one should do nothing to discommode i don't know or annoy his fellow passengers so if you're if you're in a train to go on a plane with bronchitis (laughs) (laughs) bind him hand and foot number 25 where a visitor has been that's true i was cough now actually it wasn't too bad on the plane now you made me feel good i don't like you number 25 where a visitor has been granted the courtesy of choosing his own time he ought certainly to let his friend know beforehand of his coming. All yeah. Right. Good stuff. Good stuff. All right. We're out of time, folks. God bless you. We'll see you uh, next week. We'll have a visitor because Pastor will be out of town. And uh, I think it'll be me and somebody else uh, yet to be named will be in here with All me. All right. Mystery guest. Yes. Mystery guest. All right, folks. Have a great week. God bless you. I will choose to live.